0: tuned in to chaos to the fly a podcast for fans of the darkness and the supernatural by greg Newbigin. if you'd like to reach out to provide feedback or say hello send an email to info at chaos to the or if you'd like to share an experience send the details to stories at chaos to the fly.com and it might be included on future episodes now let's get down to business shall we G'day Fly people and welcome to episode number eight of season one of Chaos to the Fly. I am Greg Newbegin. I am your host as always, and this week we have something a little bit special. Uh, I have been talking about doing things a little bit differently. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I thought I might do the Cthulhu mythos, even though it is not actual real beliefs that people have had over... The years and, you know, all came from one man, H.P. Lovecraft. It is interesting and it has been pervasive on modern culture. So I did decide to do an entire episode this week dedicated to Lovecraft and the Cthulhu mythos. Uh, Of course, the ghost story is not because it's a little bit hard to have a ghost story related to something that was a figment of someone's imagination that died a hundred years ago, or thereabouts. Uh, So we do have just an ordinary ghost story for you this week, if you want to call it ordinary. But the rest of the episode is all dedicated to Mr. Lovecraft and to Cthulhu and the mythos that surrounds it. Last week's was a great episode as well, of course. Uh, In the edutainment section, we looked at Leviathan and Behemoth and the stories behind those two monstrous characters we had a ghost story well it was really the story of a sinister spirit very long interesting story with lots of uh lots of engagement with a spirit in a uh, military complex that was pretty interesting and i did a review of terrifier the uh horror movie it's basically a slash gore fest i recommend watching it basically so go back check out episode 7 and listen to those particular stories, but how about we smash right on into... The Cthulhu Mythos Special. (laughs) H.P. Lovecraft and the Cthulhu Mythos. That is not dead which can eternal lie, and in strange eons, Even death may die. In the early 1900s, there existed a struggling writer named Howard Phillips Lovecraft. This Lovecraft was a prolific writer of short stories and poems, whose stories all had similar threads throughout. He was a little before his time, never being recognised for his brilliance until long after his death in 1937. Sadly he died in poverty. And virtually unknown. However, his writings have since become highly influential to modern supernatural and horror writers, as his stories not only had a life and feel of their own, but also a force and a mythos of its own, that which has been coined the Cthulhu Mythos, based on his most prolific creation from the short story The Call of Cthulhu. As a child, H.P. Lovecraft was enamoured by the Greco-Roman gods, and having decided that the gods themselves were myths, in fact his most famous retort being that he wondered why God was not equally considered a myth in the same vein as Santa Claus, which he said at around 9 years old, it's likely that he began to create his own pantheon within his head from an early age. Sadly, he died of intestinal cancer in 1937, still quite young at only 46 years of age. As a result of his many short stories written over the years, however, Lovecraft has become well known for the themes of his writings, and by extrapolation, the creatures he dreamed up to explore these themes. So strong was his vision, and so powerful were these themes, that they have persisted long beyond his death. In fact, I would not be surprised if there are individuals actually worshipping Cthulhu and the like as actual gods even given they existed solely within the imagination of H.P. Lovecraft. So what exactly is the Cthulhu Mythos? And more, more importantly, perhaps, how do you pronounce Cthulhu? Clearly, I pronounce it Cthulhu, but many prefer to enunciate the T-H, saying Cthulhu. Lovecraft himself, however, suggested the word was pronounced very differently, potentially as Kalulu. But I guess the truth is buried, as we definitely can't ask him to say it again now, for the record. I'll stick with Cthulhu myself. I just prefer it that way, I reckon it sounds better. The Cthulhu Mythos effectively incorporates all of the Ancient Ones that Lovecraft referred to in his many short stories over the years. The primary thread tying these Ancient Ones together is that they were the Ancient Gods who were here before all, and will exist after all, and that more than this, Humans are completely irrelevant to eternity. They are true cosmic horror, and they are completely incomprehensible to mankind. In fact, Lovecraft would often mention that most people would lose their minds at the sight of them. Another great quote, The most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. This one comes from The Call of Cthulhu itself. Why is Cthulhu the most well-known of his many ghastly creations? It's hard to say, really. It's not his only well-known writing. At the Mountains of Madness, perhaps, and The Shadow over Innsmouth, are probably equally regarded. Nor was Call of Cthulhu the first of his uh, short stories to tell of the Ancient Ones. That award goes to Dagon. However, It was the first to really delve deeply into the mythos that he'd created, and the very idea of Cthulhu itself is monstrous, and perhaps the most easy to visualize out of all of his great old monstrosities. I mean, imagine trying to picture an amorphous, sentient darkness, not unlike a patch of oil in the sky, which is the description of the blackness from the stars. Cthulhu, though, Cthulhu is a giant beast with an octopus head, with claws on hands and feet, and long, narrow wings behind. He is said to resemble an octopus, a dragon, and a human combined, and is hundreds of metres tall. Not only is this description somewhat easy to imagine, it's also almost inconceivable at the same time. Perhaps therein lies the wonder. But where are these Ancient Ones, the Great Old Ones who ruled Eternity from Space? Lovecraftian myth purports that they are sleeping, perhaps for eternity, perhaps until they waken to Apocalypse. Cthulhu itself sleeps at the bottom of the ocean in the sunken city of R'lyeh, himself overseen by the great ocean deity Dagon. Azatoth, the blind idiot god, exists at the centre of the universe, a dreaming entity within whose dream lies reality, and thus is considered the greatest of the ancient gods. Other notable gods include Shub-Niggurath, the Black Goat of the Woods with a Thousand Young, which is possibly Lovecraft's version of Satan, a creature that can be summoned and worshipped. Also, Yog-Satoth, another cosmic entity that exists across past, present, and future, but is somehow denied access to our reality. It is the Keeper of All Knowledge, and the offspring of the Children of Azatoth. Yog and Shub-Niggurath themselves mated, creating a child that reproduced asexually through Parthenogenesis, resulting in Cthulhu itself. And lastly, although clearly there are many, many more entities created as part of this mythos over the years, I'd like to mention Nyarlathotep, the Crawling Chaos. Nyarlathotep is the only god potentially not sleeping. He walks the earth, manipulating Cultivating and enacting the will of the Ancient Ones. All of those names are hard to say. You don't know how many times I tried to record this. Of course, a discussion of Lovecraftian concepts would be nothing if it didn't include reference to the Necronomicon, a tome of dark knowledge, supposedly written by the mad Arab Abdul Al-Hazred. This is the infamous Book of the Dead, which many believe to be a real ancient tome of forbidden knowledge but was, in fact, simply a creation of Lovecraft. There are books that have been written under this title. The most famous is a collection of writings printed under the name Simon, and known as the Simon Necronomicon. This book attempts to present itself as a real book that's referenced by Lovecraft, but, of course, considering the real book never existed, it's merely someone's clever attempt to corner a niche market. And I guess it worked. I myself bought a copy many years ago, thinking it was real. Anyway, enough of my own stupidity. Clearly, Lovecraft's writings struck a chord. No matter how absurd, no matter how ridiculous the concept, his ideas have endured. To review the impact that this has had on modern popular culture would take a hell of a long time. There are many movies, books, video games, board games, and bands dedicated to the ideas created 100 years ago, and they continue to be released even now. A number of movies have been based directly on his stories, two of which will be covered later in this very episode. Others, such as the Evil Dead series, reference the Necronomicon, for example. Bands such as Metallica, The Acacia Strain, Black Sabbath, even Dead Mouse, Opeth, and many, many more have referenced aspects of the Cthulhu mythos in their songs, as have plenty of comic books. Even Archie! And TV shows, from Rick and Morty through Digimon, and Supernatural, and of course, video games, including the Witcher series, World of Warcraft, the Fallout series, and many, many, many more. Lovecraft has certainly left his mark upon the world, even if he himself did not live to see it. This week's ghost story is the haunting of a new apartment from Marie Lives the Horror on the Ghost Stories subreddit. Keep in mind that Marie Lives the Horror does have her own YouTube channel under the same name. The following is a weird experience I had living in a new apartment. I'll try to keep it as short as possible. During the time of this experience, I'd recently discovered that I was naturally very sensitive to paranormal things. While I don't provoke or look for things like this to happen, due to me being very afraid of such things, I discovered I was actually unwillingly attracting certain energies to me. I noticed a few weird things happen in my new place, but I tried my hardest to ignore it. I practiced meditating and keeping myself calm and balanced so I could control the fear that I had and thus potentially avoid escalating the occurrences. There were, however, a few things that continued happening that I could not explain. The first thing was my wallet. My wallet at the time was a zipper wallet with a loop for your wrist attached to it. I would always put my wallet inside my purse and hang my purse from the doorknob of the closet door. However, there were numerous times that I would find my wallet in really random places. I'd wake up and find it on the floor at the foot of my bed. Other times I'd find it laying on the windsill inside my bedroom. Other times I would find it laying on the windsill inside my... Other times I would find it laying on the windowsill inside my bedroom. There was one time I found it hanging from the hook where I hang my towel in the bathroom. It was super weird. There was even one time that my roommate left it hanging from my room doorknob. I looked there, but I couldn't find it. When I told her I didn't know where it was, she said she found the wallet on top of the washing machine in the laundry room. It became pretty obvious to me that something was trying to get my attention. Then I started seeing really weird shadows from the corner of my eyes. It started right after my roommate's boyfriend had moved in with us. They'd just be really strange, fast-moving, blurry shadows. As soon as I'd try to look at whatever was moving, it would dash out of my viewpoint. I really didn't get it. One night, I stayed up in the living room after my roommates had gone to sleep, and I saw a very dark, slow-moving shadow going across the doorway to the kitchen and moving through the wall that leads to the outside of the apartment. I was really scared because this thing was completely black and seemed solid. Even though I did not feel anything negative about it, I still wasn't sure what to do. I actually got up and opened the front door just to see if I could see where it went, but I saw nothing. I ended up asking my roommate if she ever saw anything like that. She told me she'd never seen anything before. I didn't want to frighten her, so I didn't mention anything else to her about it again. Maybe two weeks or so after that experience, I started to see a boy in a blue striped shirt. He wasn't really a small child, he was more of a teenager. I want to say maybe 15 or 16 years old. The first time I saw him, he was sitting on the stairs behind the stairway that led up to my apartment. I saw him through the cracks in the steps on the other side of the stairway. I'd never seen him before, and since he had his back to me, I didn't say anything to him and continued walking to my apartment. I simply thought he was just some kid from another apartment and paid him no mind at the time. As I reached my apartment, I had a view into the back forested area of the apartment complex, and I saw the kid running into the forested area. I froze, because there was no way he could have run that fast. He had to have run from the second floor stairs to the bottom, and then run across the parking lot into the forested area. I didn't even hear any footsteps. I knew immediately that this was something abnormal. After this, I would see him on and off near my apartment, or sometimes near my actual apartment door. He'd never look at me, or recognise that I was staring at him, but it happened so much that I just got used to it, and I was able to keep myself from being afraid. I usually just ignored him. One night, I got home from work pretty late, and I went to sleep rather quickly after having a shower. Around maybe 1am, my dog started barking in my room. I got a little angry because I didn't want him to wake anyone else up. As I sat up in my bed, getting ready to yell at my dog, I noticed that the kid in the blue striped shirt was standing by the door to my room. He was staring off into space and again didn't notice that I was staring at him. At this point, I was completely frozen. My dog stopped barking and stood tense next to my bed with his attention completely on this kid. Then. Out of nowhere, the apparition slowly moved in my direction. It actually started to walk towards my bed. He stopped halfway, and he started speaking. At first his voice was muffled, but then I clearly heard him saying to me, ''It's demons, it's all demons, don't be fooled, everything is because of demons.'' The way he said it was like he had to hurry up and tell me, was rushed and very quick. Right after he spoke, he completely disappeared. My light switch flicked and the lights in my room turned on. I actually heard the light switch flick, but I was completely frozen solid in my bed. Afterward, my dog calmed down as if nothing had happened and jumped up on my bed to sleep with me. Didn't dare get up and turn my lights back off. It was such an ominous message. I sort of thought maybe he was trying to give me a warning about the apartment. However, I never saw the kid ever again after this. This week being the Lovecraft special, we have two movie reviews. The first is The Color Out of Space, which is a recent movie, and the second is Dagon from 2001. Color Out of Space. Well, I wasn't entirely sure how a movie could be made to meet the cosmic confusion that is Color Out of Space, but this movie certainly makes a concerted effort at it. Released in 2019 and starring Nicolas Cage, this is one hell of a sci-fi horror. It does start off kind of slowly, even though the meteorite that is The Color Out of Space itself hits relatively early on. This is because it takes time to build not only the characters and the stories behind each of them, but also the creeping horror that Lovecraft was known for. I wouldn't say it nails this entirely, but out of the many attempts at making a movie from Lovecraft's ideas, this is perhaps the best of them. What makes this movie worth watching, though, is the massive turn it takes around the middle, where it goes from a fairly tame thriller to batshit insane Lovecraftian horror. And what makes good Lovecraft horror? It's got to have a mix of the grotesque, the beautiful, and the completely incomprehensible. That said, it is far from perfect. There are some scenes that occur in this movie that I don't really think fit. I understand that part of the unravelling of Nicolas Cage's character sees him devolve into something he doesn't want to be, which is his abusive father, but I really think that this kind of trope has been played out way too much in movies of this ilk. Surely they could have taken a different angle. But if you are expecting Nicolas Cage to be Nicolas Cage, then you're in for a treat, because he hams it up wonderfully on several occasions. That dude makes some decisions. But, really, what makes Color Out of Space such a treat is the visuals. Not only the use of color, you know, got to use color specially because that's the name of the damn film. But it's the way in which the color itself affects the world that it inhabits. The color is your god now. Worship the color. It's not the greatest movie ever made, but it's probably the best Lovecraft adaption that I've seen, and it's certainly worth watching at least once. I'm not sure it's quite unique enough to be a classic, which is really saying something. I guess what I'm saying is I'm not sure I want to watch it again. The second half makes a pretty good play for rewatchability, just in terms of sheer fuckery, but yeah, watch it yourself and see how you feel. Overall, I enjoyed it, as well as the nods to other Lovecraftian concepts that the writers and the film crew inserted throughout. But, again, I just don't think it's something I would watch again. Dagon Dagon is a strange one. I'd not heard of this movie until I watched a best-of list That was outing the most underrated horror movies of the early 2000s and being the fan of Lovecraft that I am I decided to give it a go. It is really different to Color Out of Space but in some ways that makes it more true to Lovecraft as well. Now keep in mind this movie was made back in 2001 or released back in 2001. It starts off in a somewhat modern setting. There's a family or a, a couple of couples out on an expensive yacht enjoying a trip on the sea when suddenly tragedy strikes and the boat encounters a storm and finds itself moored on some rocks. The two younger members head off to find some help, eventually discovering a nearby fishing town. Although this town is not quite what it seems. It's waterlogged, it's grey, it's aged, and it almost feels like it's somehow out of time, stuck in the early 20th century. The people there don't seem to speak English. they're wary of strangers. Not long after, the couple is separated and things take a turn for the Lovecraftian. Dagon is not as horrific as Color Out of Space, at least in terms of visuals, but but it is certainly just as horrific in terms of its insanity. The people of this town worship the Ancient Ones, namely Dagon himself, and it is he that keeps them alive, seemingly forever some funky shit goes down and although this doesn't have the same pervasive feel of absolute hopelessness that Color Out of Space has, it really does have both an otherworldly feel and an overall weight of dread. Some of this movie has aged, of course, given it's almost 20 years old, but I have to agree with the best of list that I found it on. It's definitely still worth watching. When I think about it, this movie, Dagon, is possibly more of a classic or a cult classic than Color Out of Space. I think it has more rewatchability just for its strangeness. Color Out of Space tries at least to feel modern, whereas Dagon just has a feel of its own. And I think that maybe makes it a little bit more rewatchable. Alrighty, so that brings us to the end of the special Lovecraft episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Had a little bit of an overview of Mr. Lovecraft and uh, a couple of related movies. There is plenty of other content related to Lovecraft. So if you want me to touch on Lovecraft ever again let me know. I can delve into the Necronomicon. Necronomicon? Necronomicon, if you like, or something like that. Anyway, why did I choose these topics? I think it's pretty obvious this week. I absolutely love Lovecraft. I have for a long, long time, and uh, actually, as of doing this particular uh, episode, I've decided I'm going to go back and read my collected works of H.P. Lovecraft that I've got buried somewhere in my bookshelf, It's been a long time since I read his stuff, and it is really good and really different. It is a little difficult at times to read because the language is quite old, but I enjoy it. It's good. The Ghost Story came to me from, like I said, the Ghost Stories subreddit. Uh, I quite enjoyed that one. It was a shorter one, but I knew I was going to have some extra content when it came to the reviews and things like that, so I decided to leave it at that one. The reviews, I was only going to do Color Out of Space, which I watched just this week, specifically for this episode. Uh, but I did have a Dagon review written ages ago that I was just going to do in this little after section, and I decided, you know what, I'll do a Lovecraft special, and I'll do both. Uh, it was just a short review, so nice and easy, and you got two. I have seen other Lovecraft related movies, like Reanimator, things like that. I haven't seen Reanimator for a long long, long time. There is a movie called In the Mouth of Madness. It is not related to Lovecraft. Just throwing that out there, the movie that it might have been related to is called At the Mountains of Madness, and that's different. There was going to be a movie called At the Mountains of Madness made by Guillermo Guillermo del Toro. Very, very, very fantastic and amazing uh, modern movie director. I would have loved to have seen his take on At the Mountains of Madness, but apparently it is on the shelf. So, that made me a sad panda when I found out about it. So, shit happens, I guess. What can I do? Not much I can do about it. (sighs) Anyway, this week's topic is going to be wrestling. Why am I talking about wrestling? I don't know. I literally just decided on the topic off the top of my head because I actually have question marks in my notes. Why am I talking about wrestling? When I was growing up, not really when I was a teen, probably in the early 90s when I was a a tween, so to speak, or in my early teens, I was interested in the wrestling. At the time, it was the WWF, which is now the WWE, of course. Uh, Big fan of Hulk Hogan and um, The Ultimate Warrior, Randy Savage, all those kind of characters back in the day. My cousin and I used to love watching that stuff and eventually I just grew out of it. As I got older though, probably as I got into my late 30s, I started to realize that you know what? Wrestling wrestling is a lot of silly, dumb fun. So I started getting back into it and every year I would watch Wrestlemania and I'd slowly get dragged back into watching wrestling weekly and then after six months I'd burn out because I ended up watching way too much wrestling. More recently though I've decided or I came to the realization myself that WWE is a little bit played out and maybe a little bit arrogant now. It's a little bit up its own butt. In that it thinks it is the be-all and end-all of wrestling. And in reality, for a lot of people it is, because it is so massive in America. But I think it's lost a lot of its spark. For me, I started to think, okay, I like wrestling, but it's just started to turn into a terrible soap opera on WWE, and I'm not enjoying it. I'm not enjoying the storylines, and because I'm not enjoying the storylines, I'm not enjoying the wrestling, and that's really what people are there to watch. Now, of course, everyone knows wrestling is not real. It is fake. It is choreographed, but you know what? I'd like to see you get up on the stage and do what those people are doing. They're putting their lives on the line week by week to do things live in front of a crowd that most people couldn't do on a friggin' mattress. So, it is high-flying sports entertainment. It, is re- it does require real skill. It is entertainment in a similar vein to acting, but it does require some real acrobatic and muscular prowess, and that's what I enjoy about it. So, I started to look for something different. I learnt of a new wrestling organisation in the States that came out of WWE. So a whole bunch of fairly famous WWE wrestlers left WWE and started their own stable and it's really interesting. It's called AEW, All Elite Wrestling. Some of you listening probably already watch it. And I think it's start it's trying to go back to the roots of wrestling a little bit, but it's also trying to in my opinion bring in some of what makes Japanese wrestling so friggin' amazing to watch. And I started to, as a result of that, also get into New Japan Pro Wrestling. And as I watch that stuff, I start to realize what it was about wrestling that I got into in the first place. Yes, NJPW and AEW does have silly storylines, they do have flashy characters and things like that. But what they have more than anything else are just some damn good wrestling matches. And on top of that, The matches seem to make sense, which is what I wasn't liking about WWE. They some matches were just clearly squash matches, and they were dull, you know. And even when they are doing the same thing in AEW, which they absolutely have to do from time to time, uh, it's entertaining. I don't know. I just see AEW and NJPW having a lot more life in them as compared to WWE, and I'd really like to see New Japan Pro Wrestling become the place for wrestlers to want to be. I want to see it overtake WWE personally. So that's this week's topic. I do love it. Um, I don't have my time uh, to, I don't have all the time in the world is I guess what I'm saying, to watch all of wrestling as much as I'd like to. But, you know, I find AEW once a week, New Japan Pro Wrestling just when the big shows are on every six months is a really, really good cadence that I can keep up keep up with. So that's what I am enjoying at the moment. I guess that's also kind of my secret, that I like wrestling. <laughs> I didn't really think of a secret this week. So give me five minutes and I'm sure I'll think of one. Uh, but I do have a review that I forgot to read out last week. This one's from a complete stranger to me named Darren Newbegin, And this Darren person says... A terrific podcast about all things horror or supernatural. I look forward to listening each week. I love how the podcast is broken up into learning about something unusual and scary and its origins. Two scary personal encounter stories from all over the world. And finally, a movie, a review of a movie that's meant to thrill and scare the pants off us. I'm especially proud because the presenter is my brother. I love that we have the same tastes in general and connect with this stuff. Do yourself a favour and check this one out. Five stars. Five plus stars in my book. P.S. Brother, I am a a DC comic fan and I still listen to Iron Maiden. So, yes, I do know who this person is. It is, of course, my brother. I did speak about him on a couple of episodes uh, ago when I was talking about music and I was talking about uh, comics and things like that. So I can say, Darren, I do listen to a little bit of Iron Maiden. I'm not going to say I don't completely like it. It's just not necessarily my thing. I have listened to Judas Priest, for example, especially some of the newer albums that The Priest has, has released, and a couple of those kind of things. And I've tried to go through a lot of backlog of, what do you call it, Nawabum, the new wave of British heavy metal, that's the one, uh, just to listen to it and understand where metal came from. But it's still not 100% my thing. I know it is your thing. Respect. Now, when I said I'm not a DC comic fan, I was really referring to Superman and Batman and things like that. I can read them and I do get entertained by them, but I still find them a little bit dull. It's like eating a cake made of cardboard that's covered in icing sugar. The sugar helps you get through it, but in the end it's bland and dull and probably going to make you sick. But... That said, I do like DC imprints, particularly, what's it called, Valiant, Um, and Vertigo. Vertigo is the one I'm thinking of, because Vertigo has come out with a number of really good comic book series, like Sandman, like Why the Last Man, and a few of these other series that I've absolutely loved. So, Vertigo is a great imprint of DC that I absolutely love, but DC itself, the straight stuff, not a big fan of. Although, like I said last week or the week before, or whenever it was, I do have the Death of Superman comic and a couple of comics around that. I've got a bunch of DC comics, but mm, I don't know, I prefer Image. So, That sort of brings us up to date for this week. I didn't really have a secret that I could think of because I was too busy sort of mumbling away. Last week's, last week's, the one about aliens, where I said I wanted aliens to come and take me away, gave a few people a chuckle. So thumbs up to that one. Uh, I don't have anything similar right now. I'm sorry. I promise I'll think of a good one for next week. How's that? How's that? I'll make it up for you. How, how, how's that? If you're American, you don't know that song. Don't look it up. You'll regret every second of it. Anyway, thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Chaos to the Fly. Don't forget to click like, subscribe, send us a review, review on iTunes, review on iTunes, all of that stuff. Spread the word. We are growing, but we are growing slower than I was hoping. I guess, really, by now, we should have been on the, the new and noteworthy. We didn't quite make it. Oh, well, that's life. Moving right along. I'm just happy to be able to make these uh, recordings, because I'm actually really damned enjoying it, enjoying my horror, so I hope you are too, and I will see you next week with another episode of Chaos to the Fly. Bye! Chaos to the Fly might mostly be my little project, but it couldn't be what it is without the help of some key individuals and resources, so I'd like to thank the following. Thanks to Simon Exley for his brilliant music-making skills, providing all music used in the show. You can look for his work at inexilerecords.bandcamp.com. Thanks also to Mr. Mr. Yarn for his glorious voice work, which you can hear in the intro and outro. You can find him at disco_underscore_box on Twitter. And last but not least, thank you to Simon Sherry, who provided the excellent artwork for the show, including our spooky mascot. Follow Simon at Simon Sherry on Twitter. Before I go, however, I should mention that the sound effects were obtained from Zapsplat.com. And if you're looking for me, you can find me at Capsules on Twitter. Thanks for listening to another episode of Chaos to the Fly. It would really help if you could leave us a review on iTunes, or simply share the podcast with others you feel may be interested. To keep the spooky conversation going... Follow us at Chaos to the Fly on Twitter and Facebook. Back to work. Flies.